listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. We are now going to move on to some news. The long-awaited plan to transform England's food system has been criticised by the government's own advisers. The plan to transform England's food system highlights the government's promise to put farmers and food security at the heart of their reforms. However, the proposals have been criticised for not including a tax on salt and sugar, and environmental groups have accused the government of rowing back on green ambitions. Restaurateur Harry Dimbleby, the architect of a landmark review of the food system, said the policy document was not detailed enough to be called a strategy. However, the report is expected to recommend investment in automated farming methods to improve productivity. Uh, Well, that's interesting. Mm. I thought we were trying to get away from automated farming methods. Um, although there is the, the hydroponics, I think a lot of that is automated. So maybe that's what they're talking about. Um, Toyota shares fell over 2% after criticism from green activist investors last week um, after critical media reports. Green investors in European pension funds investing in Toyota said that the company's lobbying efforts went against climate regulation for the industry. Toyota was the pioneer of green technology with the launch of their hybrid cars in 1997, but since then the Japanese car giant has become one of the most vocal critics of a rapid transition to all electric powered vehicles and the fiercest guardian of the petrol electric hybrid technology, which isn't surprising because presumably they will have invested in all that infrastructure. And so this is the thing we're constantly up against, is sort of vested interests versus the interest of the climate. Um, Right, Billie Eilish appeals to Gen Z at her first ever climate event. The 20-year-old singer-songwriter has made time on her Happier Than Ever World Tour to co-organise Overheated, a six-day line-up of conversations with climate activists, musicians and designers at the O2. The venue has gone almost entirely vegan for the duration of the event. Imperfect activism was the theme of the event. She was undoubtedly the headliner for the young crowd, but took more of a backstage role. All speakers were experts in their various fields of plant-based food, storytelling and sustainable fashion. I love that idea of imperfect activism. And actually, it reminds me of a... Um, a piece put out by Just Stop Oil, which was they did a sort of mashup of um, Richard Madeley on Good Morning Britain, presumably, and Don't Look Up. And wherever you had your Don't Look Up presenters, they put Richard Madeley because they had a young woman from um, Just Stop Oil who was talking about the fact that we need to stop investing in new fossil fuel projects. And he was saying, um, Your clothes you're wearing today? Weren't they made using oil? How did you get here? If you got here in a car, doesn't that use oil? I just thought, you stupid man. <laughs> I just, it's just unbelievable that people are still asking these same questions. And it's, it is crazy to expect people to be perfect in order to be able to try and say what we need to be doing. It's madness. Um, anyway... Right, one more story. This is Bristol. A row has broken out over demands for Bristol Council's pension scheme to sever ties with fossil fuel companies. 
Green councillors want Avon Pension Fund to sell all its investments in oil, gas and coal industries, insisting it's fantasy to believe net zero can be engaged by engaging with them and that the local authorities' 6,000 staff should be given a vote to decide. But the City Council's representative on the local pension board, Labour Group leader, Councillor Steve Pearce, said it was not a binary issue, to quote, because some of the biggest renewable energy firms were formerly traditional fossil fuel giants. Now, I just wanted to sort of check up on this story a bit. So I spoke to Martin Fodor um, yesterday and he said, yes, that kind of is the case. There is this sort of disagreement about what to do. And um, and unfortunately, we only have, the council only has one place on the pension fund committee, and that place is held by Councillor Steve Pearce, um, which I think the Greens find a little bit frustrating. So I thought, actually, I'm going to try and get them both on the show, try and get Steve Pearce on the show and Martin, and they can just have a chat about divestment and their sort of differing ideas on it, um, because I thought that would be quite a good thing to do. So I shall be inviting them both on. We'll see see where we get with that. Um, Right, Okay. Oh, actually, there is one bit of... Yes, sorry, one last bit of good news. The University of California Retirement Savings Programme, which I assume is a pension fund, um, is selling off any company that holds fossil fuel reserves. Um, And given how big the California state is, what is it? It's the fifth largest economy in the world or something. Whether that means the university itself is also, you know, it's part of this big economy. So that is good news. Before we um, talk to Christina about her wonderful podcast, River Journey, we are going to be hearing from Mohammed Abdurrahim, um, who is from uh, the Kobe state in Nigeria. So, yeah, he's just going to be talking a bit about the problems that Nigeria is experiencing and what he is trying to do and what other campaigners are trying to do to try and sort of turn it around in their region. So, Mohammed, over to you. Hi, my name is uh, Mohammed Abdrahim. I am from the state of Nigeria. I am a graduate of uh, geography. So we are facing some environmental challenges in our community. Uh, the challenges are desertification, deforestation, and drought, and some impact of climate change in our community. Uh, due to these problems, uh, the rate of deforestation is high in our community because most of our people they are using source of energy. They are using uh, firewood so normally they used to cut down the trees in order to use the, the trees that they are cut as a firewood and to produce a charcoal with it and this is harmful action to our environment it leads us to desert encroachment and drought so in view of the above problems uh, we are taking some uh, majors that is to give people awareness and to educate them about the impact of climate change and the effect of deforestation so we are telling them to stop cutting down of these trees because cutting down of trees can lead us to problems 
So we are going to experience a harsh weather, uh, that is extreme weather, and uh, some uh, incidents of wind storms, because the absence of the trees lead us some problems. Uh, even in the last two weeks, that is on 9th May, we have we have incidents of wind storms in Damatru, that is in Yobe State, Nigeria. So the wind storm blow, so wind storm blow and affect the, the, the people as well as the properties because of the lack of trees. So the trees normally used to reduce the wind speed. Instead, the wind hits the properties or the structure of buildings. So the trees they used to slow down the, the speeds of the wind in order to reduce the speed so that it will not harmful to the environment and to the community. So here we are going some elementary schools to give uh, uh, children, that students, orientation and to give them awareness about the importance of tree planting. So as you have seen, we have gone to another elementary school. We have donated them some trees, so we have planted with them, so that we tell them that is the uh, importance of the tree. So thank you, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mohammed, um, so much for explaining what's what's happening um, in in your area, and particularly what I didn't know about. I don't know if you knew about this, Christina, about the effect on windstorms and how trees slow down the wind. That just trees seem to be the answer to so mm. much, don't mm. they? Um, yeah, it's uh, it. Virtually every single activist campaigner I speak to, they certainly abroad, this seemed to be, um, th this is a large part of their activism, is planting trees. Um, so it sounds like you're doing an amazing job out there. Um, so, yeah, I, well, just thank you. And please keep in touch. Um, yeah, please keep us posted. Um, right, okay. Um Christina, I Hello. think. We, yes, <laughs> let's get to talk about your your wonderful podcast. Now, shall I play? I think I might play the the trailer um, just to give people a sense of what it's all about. I'll do that first. Okie doke. Welcome to River Journey, the Bristol Froom, a podcast series flowing with conversations about the river. Huge amounts of water pouring underground. Lots of people walk on the Froom to work. The thing that they don't realise is that actually, yes, it's okay, but it could be better. 62, 63, we had that very hard winter, and this, this all was just ice. You could walk from here up to the quarry, just on the river. Obviously, the fact that the Froom was running through the middle of these villages is an important part of why uh, the trade took off here. Water. It carries us places. It is precious, fragile, dangerous, sustains, destroys. We believe that climate change, things are going to get worse, and there's going to be more flow going down here in the future over the next hundred years. Can those culvert systems 
withstand the amount of flow that is coming down. In Anglo-Saxon, Froom means fine, fair and brisk, and I want to find out if it still lives up to that name. So join me on my river journey along the Bristol Froom. Oh, I, I think we should just sit down and listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, just listen yeah, let's to your podcast. <laughs> let's play some podcasts. Oh. I was just thinking that, listening to them, actually, that's one of the things I loved was that the people I met were what the stories were about. And I did meet so many amazing people actually doing the podcast. So, yeah. so right. Uh, so, yeah, let's just, if, can I take you back just mm. a couple of steps? Just, just tell us a little bit about you, would you? Um, Ooh, yeah. Okay. Where'd you start? <laughs> well, um, I worked back in the early 90s um, before I had my children in television, in documentaries, and I was really lucky. I worked for a really small production co-op and that kind of meant that I had the chance to do everything. So I would go out and I'd do a bit of sound recording or I'd do some research. I ended up, my main job ended up being an editor, which was, you know, a whole art form that I loved. I absolutely loved being able to take that raw material and structure it. And no matter how much, I mean, we can talk about this with the podcast, no matter how much I try to just think, I'll do a really simple you know, just record people and, and use it in long form. I can't help myself but edit. So I edit way too much, which means everything I do takes way too much time. But so anyway, I did that for the 90s and I did some directing as well. And it was all, it was all in Bristol. They were Bristol-based and we did a lot of nature programmes. We did walks on Exmoor where we looked at the changing landscape and we started looking at power in the landscape. It was the first time I'd kind of come across that as a concept, really. So I really found my people I think can you tell me what you mean by power in the landscape well, kind of a bit like trespass the Nick Hayes book it was all about you know how land ownership has happened over history and I think that was really the first time I started understanding the impact of history on our mm. present and I think and, and and then we would do quite a lot of local history programs and people's stories and all of that has kind of fed into who I am today in a, in a really strong and powerful way, and in a way I probably, in my 20s, didn't even realise was happening to me. And, you know, and then I stopped because I had my kids, and I found, and particularly being an editor, you're the one there till 3 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. if that's what it takes. So I stopped, and when I went back, I just did lots of different projects that I was interested in. Any, you know, I worked in a women's prison, teaching radio production and creative writing and things like that. Oh. I worked for South Gloucester Council being a walk leader um, with all the Walking for Health team and things. And it, again, it kind of has come back to that full circle thing of everything. You're not always, I'm not always on a very deliberate journey, but I do quite like taking influences and seeing where it takes me. And I think that was why ultimately I became interested in this idea of doing podcasts. I should say... I'd worked also at South Gloss Council on a big project about the Second World War. And part of that was exploring people's stories and doing reminiscent sessions and making 10 films. So I found myself back making films and realised that actually my kids had grown up now and I had more time. Mm -hmm. And that was what I would really love to do again. So at the end of that project... We made 10 short films about the impact of the war on residents of South Gloucestershire. And they were really strong. They were lovely, lovely people that we met. And um, 
And I thought, I'll start doing life story films. The technology had really changed. So in that 20 years mm. of stopping and bringing up my children, technology's changed. So you can go off with a camera, a pretty decent little DSLR camera, you know, and a microphone, and you can have a laptop in your bedroom and you can edit and you can make films. And that's what I do now. I make life story films. And then that's ended up expanding to films for quite a few charities. I, I do quite a lot of work with Heart of BS13 mm-hmm. in Hartcliffe. And, um, and I, you know, I became aware, I became really aware of how much podcasting was this, this media that was really changing the scene and how much it was being listened to. It was one of the greatest growth areas, actually, because people can, you know, be doing the hoovering or cooking or driving or on the bus or whatever they're doing and listen to a podcast. You know, and actually I do that. I kind of quite like multitasking because we're all so busy you know, to sit down and watch a mm. film all the time yeah. or read a book mm. is difficult. So I thought, do you know, I'm going to, I want a podcast, actually. I want to give it a go, see what it's like. And it was a whole different thing. It was a really, and that was very unexpected. And um, why River Journey? What, how, what's the journey of River well, Journey, as it were? Yeah, I think, well, I am a climate activist. I'm massively involved with climate activism. Um, but I knew... In my head, I knew I wanted to make something that would speak to some of the people I've worked with over the years in the community. I wanted something maybe, you know, I took a long time thinking about what should I do podcasts about. And I think I I kind of felt I wanted to do something about things that I love, but I wanted to do something that would meet people where they're at, that they would be inspired to join in with the journey as well that they would start getting that complexity of actually how the river is how it is because of human impact, about the importance of what we do to it, about what we're doing to it now and what we need to think about, but also just to enjoy the beauty of it all. And I suppose it was that thing of, uh, yeah, just finding a format where I could explore all those things that I love, which is the natural world and talking about climate change and but also collecting people's stories and local history and, and just sort of melding it together. Mm. And I started off thinking, I'll do the seven, <laughs> which I'm quite glad I didn't do because that's hundreds of miles. And actually, the Froome is 20 miles. And I reckon I could have done a 10-part series on the Froome. Mm. It was five, but it started off mm. with me thinking I'd do four episodes and split it into five-mile chunks and even that. Because so many brilliant people came forward and I couldn't... Yeah, and I'm just going to stop you just because I've only... Only so that we can just get a little taste of more of it. So I've got got Holly. I'm going to just play a little bit of Holly to start with. Holly Dunbar, I think is her name. Dunham. I beg your pardon. Sorry, Holly. Um, Who is an artist. So let's just listen to this little snatch. We're on a metal bridge now. The Ratatat Bridge. <laughs> Have you got little names for everywhere as you go along? <laughs> the Ratatat Bridge. It just makes some nice sounds as you come over. We're going over now to um, the the part of the river where, that if ever there was a place where fairies would live, this is where I would say that they would live. It's just so magical when you walk along this, just over the bridge where we are now, when you start to walk t- towards what the locals call Black Rocks. 
and there's two resident kingfisher you have to come down incredibly early and it was just sat down on the long branch out to the side and it was just sat there and then I carried on walking and it stayed there and I found a place further down the river where I just stopped and set up all my paints and got my sketchbook out and started painting and then there was just this squeak coming past and it flew straight over the top of my head and carried on going. I think that's one of the lovely things about you know being an artist or anyone who sits still in nature because lots of us walk and walking is amazing but sometimes just to sit there and be still there's different it's a different experience altogether isn't it? Sorry, I must say, by the way, that editing, that cutout at the end, that is mine. <laughs> uh, I've just pulled out extracts and I was very aware because in one of the later ones I sort of cut them together and I thought, that is not Christina's editing, that's <laughs> mine just sort of cutting off at the end. Um, yes, I mean, there you go. That's just a, a taste of one element of it. Um, how, so can you just tell her, how did, how did you sort of structure them? How did you...? Yeah, well, I um, basically... One of the things I really loved about meeting Holly, by the way, was that she she rang me up, you know. So I put out a call to, and, and a little article saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to embark on this project. And I put something in the local newspaper, the Froome Valley Voice, which went all kind of way down the river, really. And also through um, South Gloss Council, through the Froome Reconnected Project. So to environmental groups and, and different organisations that work on the river. And Holly contacted me and just told me her story, really. And her story is very much about that being an artist and being still and next to the river mm. and really observing it. And then she just told me this amazing thing about how life-changing it had been to be by the river for her, how she literally sat and meditated and how she gets a daily dose of nature. And she was exactly, you know, what it was exactly what I wanted to find. And all the way through this, the people that have come towards me to say, can we talk to you? Yeah, I've got this story or this is what my area is. I've just been bowled over. So, yeah, I've ended up with four people in every programme because I couldn't drop anyone. I just just had so many great people. Um, my process in terms of the structure, because we were talking about this, I'm quite linear <laughs> and I quite like seeing something from the beginning to the end so it was quite nice for me to have this river that's got a source and a got mm. mouth and you can choose to do five miles each chunk and um but it is it is linear you've got the source to the mouth of the river so it starts in doddington and it, it comes out in the center of bristol into the cut into the avon um but it's like but where does it really start? It really starts up in the Cotswold Hills and it's that drainage area. And actually it is part of the Avon catchment. So the Froome just goes into the Avon and that's a huge catchment. So I was learning about all this stuff all the way through and it all fed into it. So again, I kind of think about rivers being a bit like life and you've got all these things that trickle into it and can affect it and how one thing can affect something further downstream. So... You know, so Holly Holly was a great one to choose to start with because I think she brings that in a lot. And um, that was, I suppose, because what I wanted to do was include everything that I think matters around a river and matters to me. I did have this crossover between 
kind of people talking about how how it inspired them creatively or spiritually or inspired their life but also historical stories lovely stories of just playing in the river as children and you know fishing for tiddlers and things like that and but then, when it was ice yeah I loved when, it. oh yes. that ice one which is amazing isn't yeah. it walking all the way on the river yeah. on the ice just a beautiful story and but yeah and and then just how much the professional bodies have to think about flooding and pollution and you know, and how they're going to have to think about it more and more with climate change. So I didn't want to soften that message in terms of the fact that we do really need to think about those things. I have actually, on that note, uh, and this is where I mean, I I have cut this together. It's two or three little sections (laughs) just to give you a flavour of the kind of things that people are talking about. Um, And we are hearing here from Duncan Porter and Melvin Woods. Um, So, yeah, let's just hear a bit about this. We used to catch stone loach in here. I haven't seen a stone loach in 20-odd years. There's still bullhead, stickleback populations, minnows seem to be down. Um, interestingly, there's a lot of caddis fly larvae in this river, which is a fairly good indicator of a clean river. And uh, uh, birds like dippers like those, and dippers have been seen in this river, which are also a good indicator of good diversity. So it's a mixed story for the Froom um, in, in terms of the type of uh, wildlife we're seeing in the river. But we're... we're fairly confident that the pollution is having an impact on the the diversity it's almost on a weekly basis the amount of trash that we get coming down the river is absolutely phenomenal and it can be from as simple as footballs being kicked into the river to motorcycles shopping trolleys the full range of flotsam and jetsam and it has to be taken to you know contaminated waste the number one issue for us is flood risk management so Can you imagine you've got a pipe or a culvert? Now, that pipe may be very old and it it might start to collapse. You know, parts of the Froome culvert system underneath the city centre go back to the Victorian times. And also, can it take the flood that is going to come? Now, we believe that climate change, things are going to get worse. It's going to get more stormier. And there's going to be more flow going down here in the future over the next 100 years. Can those culvert systems withstand the amount of flow that is coming down because it's going to get worse as well as sea level rise so if you imagine that water is trying to come out of the pipe at the bottom end where the tide goes up and down and when the tide is up the water can't discharge so it starts backing up so if you had the perfect storm of sea level rise coming up a big storm all over bristol and that water trying to get out and it can't go anywhere it's all going to start backing up yeah, so as you can hear, that's that's quite sort of powerful stuff. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, actually, I think this is probably a good point to, uh, to ask you about this, Christina. Um, as you say, you're an activist, and I know that, you know, you've been involved in actions and protests. Have you... What do you think is the sort of key difference between that kind of sort of activis- activism on the streets versus this kind of you know, doing this in a podcast mm. how have you how do you feel about the two sides of your sort of activism as it were it's a really good question and it's a question I have a lot of discussions with friends about actually um, and sometimes I have a real frustration because I do what I do in terms of my activism because I know how bad it is and that we need system change and I kind of end up with a frustration when people 
you know, our recycling and things like that and just kind of... And that's great. We do need to do all of those things, but we need to do it as well as, not as instead of, and that's one of my big things. And I think for me... Um, because we we can recycle till we're blue in the face, but if the big fossil fuel or, or we can take the bus or, or walk or whatever, but if the big fossil fuel companies don't change the way that they're behaving, it really is a drop in the ocean. And even if we all do it, it's still not going to be enough. It has to be system change that happens. They've got to stop following the money, like you said in your last program, actually. Mm. So there is that frustration for me, and it's why I do what I do. But I think that's because. I'm where I'm at. I am prepared to take those risks. I'm prepared to make sacrifices. I mean, you know, I'm part of Extinction Rebellion. I've been on, you know, quite a lot of different actions. I've learnt that actually sometimes you have to accept that you are not going to be liked. And I mm. accept that now. I found that really difficult because we're all very used to wanting mm. to be liked. Mm. But yeah, there's a climate emergency and you can't be... So that's me personally, that's where I'm at, and I'm prepared to do those things, and I'll carry on doing those things. Um, I'm quite careful about what I do and don't join in with. It's not anything and everything. That's a whole different conversation. But I think if other people aren't there, or, or you know, we have to meet people, like I said, where they are, and I think just creating something that really helps people love something and see it more deeply exactly. gives people that opportunity to start being maybe drawn into mm. Um, mm. understanding the, the, the wider issues, and that's where we have to start, mm. really. I think you're right, I, and I think that's one of the things that you do so beautifully in your podcast is, you know, you, you quite possibly have made people fall in love with rivers, in a way that maybe they didn't before. So you would hope that maybe somebody, even if they were really off their heads, might not push that trolley into the river. You know, who knows mm. the levels at which this kind of thing works. And, and I mean, um, there's, the, there's the interview I do with jo- Julie Doherty from Avon Wildlife mm. Trust, who's a great friend of mine, and we had this real adventure. Because that's the thing, you don't want to only spend your life being an activist. It's really <sighs> exhausting really and yeah. hard work. Mm. So actually to take solace and a dose of nature and go and enjoy it and, and realise what it is that you're fighting for is really important. So Julie and I canoed from just below Snuff Mills right to Ikea. And I mean, that was quite an eye-opener, actually. Um, yeah, you get a real you know, sense of it when you yeah. listen to it. Because first, I, I don't know if you went through the weir with her, but there is a sense of where it's kind of quieter. And then you go through a tunnel, which is really evocative because your voices just change. And it's, well, of course they would. Um, and then when you when you hit the M32 and you start hearing yeah. the traffic and it is, it's very evocative and you can hear it through you as well, what the experience is like. Yeah, that was quite an emotional part of the journey really and it made me reflect a lot and it's that thing I mean I, I kind of almost wanted to put little sayings with each thing about you know what we can learn in life about rivers and it would be about going with the flow and finding our way around objects and things like that and I think that comes out but with that one I just kept thinking what do I really feel about this and I think where I got to was that even though it was sad to see it looking like that if it is like life Sometimes the end of our life is a bit sad, but actually it is about the journey and the, the journey of the River Froome 
was absolutely amazing and brought so much in terms of diversity and wildlife and well-being stories all the rest of it and and you know um uh what oh gosh i've gone blank on melvin's name he he talks about how you know with in a city a river is forgotten it's it's kind of pushed underground in this urban which landscape we did, which literally, we did in bristol yeah. and it's so ironic because they're all built on cities they're all built around cities that's yeah. why we are where we are because of the river yeah which has nourished the city yeah and i mean i had i mean i learned so much i'd lived so i grew up in yate really close to the river Froom. I used to come, we used to come and go to Snuff Mills and things like that. I didn't even know it was the same river. Then I lived in Tosserdown for years and walked to where I worked in Clifton Village along the cart. I didn't know that's where the Froome came out. I had no idea that I walked past the end of the Froome for years. It was incredible. But Bristol Castle, which is where Bristol kind of grew from, was where it was because exactly because of where the Froome and the Avon yeah. were. Mm. So, so if you yeah, know about the rivers, you will know so much more about the city as well, won't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's something, in a way, it should be part of the national curriculum, shouldn't it, really? An understanding of our cities and rivers. Mm. Um, right. I'm slightly conscious of time. I just want to play um, this beautiful um, piece that was a poet that you spoke to Ros Martin um, actually did you want to say anything about her before I play her poem well Ro- Ros was another person like Holly that when they contacted me and told me you know about their connection to the river so Ros was isolating during Covid um, and she and, and and so she had she'd gone off a lot and explored the river so she lives fairly near to Snuff Mills and had discovered all these little secret places where she could be quite far away from people. And the more she, time she spent there, the more inspiration she has. She's a poet and a playwright. And she was really stuck on a project. And it really helped her kind of unlock that. And I think it is that thing of just being next to the river, watching the flow, allowing it to, mm. you know speak to you mm. for you to speak to it it can be really therapeutic and it's inter- why we have to look after them yeah absolutely and interestingly both of the artists that you've referred to they're both still rather than walking i mean walking by rivers is is a wonderful thing mm. isn't it mm. but as you say to be still and just let the thing sort of come to you in a way just let it let be absorbed by it um well, this is, yeah, this is a, a poem written by right, Ros Martin. The water's edge, water, the magical fluid that surrounds my grandchild-to-be. She's been out now, six months old, our future. I watch children play. Untroubled by the relentless rain, I shelter under the canopy of leaves. How different this place looks when it rains. Water, it carries us places. It is precious, fragile, dangerous, sustains, destroys. She is our universe. Observe her in her oceans over time, carrying goods, services, peoples, dreams, dreams, 
dreams. Right, Christina, can I just ask you, do you know what you're going to do? Are you going to do another river? I'd love to do another river. I'd love to do the Avon, actually. That would be an amazing river to do. We've got beavers on the Avon now that have come, you know, they're not even, you know, they haven't been put there, they've arrived. It's a secret location. So it would be amazing to do the Avon. Um, so, yeah, who, who knows? Some, somebody needs to fund me, though. <laughs> yeah, of course. It, you know, because these yeah. things are really yeah. time-consuming. It was a wonderful thing to do as a project to learn, you know, how to go about it. Because mm. that's one of the things, is when you work in TV and documentaries, you cut yourself out all the time. You're not in it. You don't hear yourself. So, for me, I had to kind of really learn how to be part of it, be part of a personality mm. and, you, you know, and for it to be my journey too. So it was that thing of it being that river where I had grown up and wanting to just dive in deeper. So I think, you know, it's that thing of finding out about things that are right on your doorstep. So I suppose the next one would be the Avon because yeah. it would, you know. So if you're listening. The fruit goes into the Avon. So yeah. actually, and also, yeah. if, if people are listening and they did want to get in touch with you, should you decide to do um, uh, a journey, of the, the Avon journey, where should they, how can they get in touch with you? Well, my website is christinawheeler.org and that's got all my contact details on there. Okay. Um, and if people, as I'm sure they will, want to listen to River Journey, how can they listen? Then you just put in River Journey, the Bristol Froome, and you'll find it through that. But actually, there is a link on my website as well, on the podcast page of my website. So that's christinawheeler.org. Now, when we were off air, um, we just started talking again about rivers. Christina, what were you saying about... I, well, I was just saying how much I liked Mohammed's piece, actually, and him talking about trees and how much it it surprised me how much trees came into the podcast about rivers and how trees are amazing filters of pollution particularly they're these amazing barriers between our roads and then particulates can be filtered but also how important it is to get the tree cover right um, in terms of light and shades for biodiversity so all the way down the river when I'm talking about the ecosystems with people you know the trees were really connected but Lucy Newton who's in the second program she talked about how much she would go and meditate on a particular redwood tree in Yate in the middle of Yate there's a redwood tree and just about that time scale that sense of something being Mm. strong and still and slow Mm. and then you've got this river flowing by and just those Mm. different things you can Mm. contemplate West Bristol Climate Action, they're very busy people. Um, They got in touch to say, please can we tell um, One Love, One Planet's listeners about an e-bike roadshow? So um, uh, Nick has sent us a message. So Nick, over to you. Hi, this is Nick Sidwell from West Bristol Climate Action and I'm standing in Victoria Square in the heart of Clifton Village where this Saturday, the 18th of June, there's going to be an e-bike roadshow brought to you by Travel West. There's going to be e-bikes here for you to try out riding and with about 60% of short one to two mile journeys in the UK made by car, e-bikes are a fantastic way of chopping out those emissions. And with Bristol being the hilly place that it is, they're also just a practical way to get around. They're great fun. 
you can go a good bit faster a good bit further and with a great deal more ease coming up something like constitution hill so if you are around this saturday if you're intrigued by e-bikes if you want to give them a go never been on one before want to try out some new models then please come along it's between 10 a.m and 3 p.m saturday 18th of june on victoria square in clifton village we'd love to see you there and enjoy riding e-bikes goodbye thanks nick um yeah i i very very interested in buying an e-bike i think i might come along and try one out that'd be fantastic um christina do you have you ridden an e-bike no you tried them no yeah. but i did used to have to try and push push my bike up constitution hill so an e-bike would be brilliant yeah yeah amazing so thank you very much and please if you're listening um and you want to get in touch about anything please do um either contact bcfm or contact uh, me on the program directly on one love one planet um at outlook.com next week um i'm going to be talking to brendan woodhouse who is an amazing person he is a firefighter and in his spare time he goes to rescue people um migrants refugees from the sea quite extraordinary so yeah we will be hearing from him next week and christina once again thank you so much for coming along thank you it's been a thank pleasure you for having me, penny it's been lovely right so until next week bye-bye 